see you guys. We are, uh, if you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here and uh, all of our campuses as well. You know, when you came in, did you get one of these little uh, silver packages? And it's kind of like, you know, when astronauts go to space, they get powdered milk and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in, inside their, I guess, ready-to-eat yeah. meals. But uh, if you want to open it up, inside of this, all right, is not powdered milk. It's, it's something much better, all right? It's an invite card. And if you turn it to the front, I call this the front because it's got a picture of me and Steph on it, all right? Uh, but it, and then on the back, it's got an astronaut. And we're just a few weeks away from our fall kickoff. Now, the reason we gave this to you is to be a tool or a resource for you to use it to get your family and friends to come and be a part of that weekend so that God can do something supernatural in their life. He can, uh, uh, so they can experience God's love, God's hope, God's joy. Want to invite those who are watching on television to come and be a part of our fall kickoff. And we do it really special. We're going to have all kinds of things going on for the children. Of course, the playground's going to open, but we're going to have all those blow-up things here. We're going to have food here, all kinds of things. And the reason we do that is because, again, we want to partner with you. I know there are people who you love who have never experienced how much God loves them. And we want to make it easier for you to invite them. You've probably invited them a million times. But this time, when you give them this, they'll be able to tell that it is something special. It is something, you know, if they miss it, they miss it. And, uh, uh, and, and so, statistically, we're told that if we invite, they'll be here. They'll come. So, don't give up on the people that you love. And uh, partner with us as we partner with you to give these out. They won't make any difference left in your car. They won't make any difference left on that chair. They won't make any difference stuck in your Bible or in your notebook, but they'll make an incredible difference when they're put in somebody's hands. And we have thousands of folks who are a part of Potential Church because somebody cared enough to not get so caught up in their world that they just invited somebody. So I, I hope that you'll do that. And we just got a couple of weeks left. The weekend after Labor Day is when we launch. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Next weekend, we're actually going to show you what happened. Uh, with our little spaceship, whether or not you made it to space or not. And uh, so you want to be back uh, for that. It's, uh, it's incredible, yeah, really. Yes, very cool. Well, Steph and I were here at part three of Hope. I hope you were here last weekend. We talked about how, you know, how we can have hope in three things. I'd never done that before. I taught three teachings last weekend and one weekend. So if you were only here for one service, then you miss the other two, and I care, encourage you to go online. I talked about, uh, at a couple of services, how the Bible was reliable, historically. You know, it's very easy for people to, oh, I don't believe that, I don't believe this, and they've never investigated. There's more historical evidence for the Bible than any work of antiquity, and we walk through some of that. Also talked about the historical evidence, or some of the historical evidence for the resurrection. Everything we believe as Christ followers is based upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If he didn't, we're just all wasting our time. And so we looked at some of the historical evidence that as a Christian, you and I don't just have to have faith in our heart. The Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. There's a reasonable faith and a reasonable reason 
for faith. You can actually use logic. And then uh, um, the last service on the weekend, which is on Sunday night, uh, is the only time I taught it, but I taught um, proofs for God. We talked about uh, some of the things that atheists say and are they true and can, you know, what's reliable. So if you didn't hear one or two of those, I encourage you to do so just so that you can give an answer. And if you're here and you say, man, I don't know if I believe any of that stuff, you got a lot riding on it. So I would do a little bit of investigation. Now, we did all that last weekend so that this weekend we could talk about the fact that we can have hope in our relationships. We want to talk particularly about marriage, but in doing so, we're going to talk about what it means to be a parent. We're going to talk about what it means to be single. And uh, I think really give us some tools so that our marriages can be hope filled um, instead of hopeless. Now, where we want to begin, if you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in, we want to begin where the Bible begins. Here's the cool thing about it. You get to chapter uh, one when God makes man and woman, and by chapter two, you've got uh, an explanation of marriage, what marriage is, the model for marriage. You don't have to go very deep into the Bible before you see it. Let's read it, all right? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 gives us everything we need to know to have a hope-filled relationship with our spouse. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall become one flesh. It says they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, in the English language, we have one word for love. Do you know what that word is? It's love. All right, so yeah. <laughs> stay with me. I want to see if you pay attention. All right, one word for love. It is love. In the Greek language, which the New Testament was written, we have four words for love. All right, you might want to jot these down. We have the word agapeo, which means a God-type love. Okay, it's God's love for us, a sacrificial type of love. We have phileo, which is a friendship type of love, all right? Buds, hanging out. Then we have storge, which is a protective or a parental type of love. And then we have the word eros, and it is a romantic type of love, okay? So, so in the Greek language, in the scriptures, we, they can use a different word if they're talking about a different kind of love. In the English language, all we can say is, I love my kids, I love my wife, I love, you know. Now, here's the neat thing, is marriage is the only relationship that has all four, all right? Marriage is the only relationship that has all four, an agapeo, in other words, there's a sacredness to marriage. It's a covenant we're going to read in a moment, which means it's me and Steph and our God. It's also phileo. We have a friendship hanging out. It's also <clears throat> storge in the sense that there's a protective aspect. She's protecting me. I'm protecting her. And then, you know, hopefully there's a little eros, all right? <clears throat> a little romantic type of love. <laughs> That is our model. Now, here's what you need to know, okay, is this verse is quoted in the New Testament, and I'm just going to give you all the different, it's quoted several times. That's, why, that's how important it is. It's quoted in Matthew 19 by Jesus. It's quoted in 1 Corinthians 6 by Paul. It's quoted in Ephesians chapter 5 by Paul. And then I put in your outline Mark chapter 10. 
Jesus believed in the scripture, okay? And he quotes Genesis 2, 24. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And remember, God says in Genesis at the very beginning, here's your model for marriage. It's what it ought to look like, a theological foundation for marriage. Then Jesus, when asked about marriage and asked about divorce and asked about men and women, what did he do? He didn't give a new revelation. He referred back to Genesis chapter 2. Look what he says. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. All right, verse 7. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one. Now, here's, here's what's important as Steph and I walk through this, is that if you choose not to follow this model, you choose to walk away from the sacredness of marriage and do uh, the eros relationship your own way, romant, uh, romantic or sex your own way, or, you know, store any of these. If you walk away and you don't have agapeo, then you are settling for less than God intended that relationship to be. I did a teaching a long time ago and I talked about how you're settling for the whipped cream when God wants you to have the whole cheesecake, okay? And that's important because here's the practical side of it. Okay, if this is our model, then you, have, you and I have to, we have to deal with this text. We have to compare this text to the way that we're living our lives. Because a lot of times we say, God, I'm good, then why is my marriage not what it ought to be? Or, God, I'm good. Why in the world, as a single person, have you not brought anybody into my life? But we don't compare. We just assume we're good because you're better than Johnny down the street, right? Well, what does the Scripture say? Let me get real practical here, okay? So, if you're here and you're living with someone that you're not married to, then there is no way that you can have all that God wants that relationship to be because you have determined that you're going to walk away from the agapeo aspect of that relationship. You're not following God's model. One man, one woman, so it's not a polygamist, it's uh, monogamous, all right? It's not a same-sex relationship. It's a man and it's a woman. And, 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 and again, and, it's, and, and God is very clear, it's not a transgender relationship. He created them man and he created them woman. Now, we live in a culture where all those things can make us freak out a little bit and, and we can, you know, get, be worried about political correctness and all that stuff. All I just want to challenge you to do is that you got to deal with this text. If you desire to be who God wants you to be and have the kind of relationship God wants you to have. So don't let your anger, don't let your emotion, don't even let what your experience is distract you from, here's what God says. So how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to wrestle with this? What is he really saying? And how does it really apply um, to my life so that my marriage can be a model? Stephen, I want to share how we've kind of lived that out in our lives, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's not true because it works for us. It works for us because it's true. Yeah. And if you don't start there, you will begin to let your experience be your guide. You'll say, when I was growing up, there was that song, How Can It Be Right When It Feels So Good? I don't remember who sang that. Sticks, somebody like that. Ario Speedwagon. I'm a kid of the 80s, all right? <laughs> but it's easy to live life that way, isn't it? 
You know, this feels so right. How can it be wrong? And all I'm saying is, let's go back here and, and, and wrestle with this and say, okay, God, how, how do I live this out in my life? My experience seems different than what I'm reading here. How do I do this? And, and, and there's a maturity and a growth that happens in us as we do that, okay? Um, because that's really where we want to begin. Yeah, you know, good marriages, good relationships uh, don't just happen, right? I mean, if you're here and you're married, you know, it takes a whole lot of work. Wouldn't it be nice if it could be like it is in the fairy tales, you know, where they get married and they lived happily ever after? Well, we know that is not reality. I mean, you know, in real life, it's they get married and then they begin the very hard work of making their marriage happy. So marriage is, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. And having a great marriage doesn't mean that everything always goes right. You know, in fact, sometimes it can just get started off, you know, get, it can just get off to a bad start, you know, beginning with the wedding ceremony. Now, let me tell you how that kind of played out for us. Um, if you've been here at Potential for a while, you've probably maybe heard uh, some of these stories, but let me give it from my perspective, okay? You've heard it from Troy's perspective, so let me give you a little bit different perspective. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of how our marriage started off. So, um, well, it actually started the day before, okay? The wedding rehearsal, and so we get there, and, you know, the wedding rehearsal, and everything's going good, and um, we go through the ceremony the first time, and, of course, Troy's um, two brothers were part of the, the wedding party. and um, But anyway, they were all in a softball tournament, his two brothers and his other groomsmen. So we go through, this, the, go through it one time, and I see all of the guys walk straight out the back door, get in their cars, and leave. And I ran to Trey. I'm like, what's going on? He said, well, they have a softball tournament they've got to get to. I mean, that's important. So, okay, not good. I was not happy. So then it gets better. So then um, we, you know, we, so we, we go through the, the, you know, the rehearsal. We finish it. And we get in the car to leave. And to this day, I don't remember what Troy said, but he said something that made me really, really angry because I had one of these really big Sonic cups. You guys know what I'm talking about, like these giant size cups. Uh, cups and it was completely full and so we're, we're driving down the road and whatever he says now I'm sure it was really good and I'm sure what I'm about to tell you I did he deserved um, so I he says what he says I get angry and I pour that host um, soda right in his lap as he's driving down the road and yes um, again I don't remember what he said but I know it must have been really really bad <laughs> not doubt it Yes, yes. So, okay, so now, now let me tell you, that's not it, okay? So that's kind of a bad start, right? This is the day before the wedding. So the next day, the wedding ceremony, we get there, and the ceremony starts, and my dad walks me down the aisle, and we get to the front, and of course, the preacher says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, you know, my dad responds, her mother and I. And, you know, typically at that point, the, the, the father then leaves, right? I mean, he goes and sits down, and the groom joins the bride. Well, my dad didn't leave. He just stood there. I don't know if he, I don't know if he forgot what he was supposed to do or, and well, let me rephrase that, okay? He didn't move quick enough for Troy. And I don't know if Troy thought in that moment that he was changing his mind or so. <laughs> instead of waiting for my dad to move, you know, giving him a few extra seconds to move, Troy comes and gets on the other side of me. The wrong side, I might add. I kid you not, that we couldn't make this stuff up. 
So he's, we go through the whole ceremony being on the wrong side. Now, for the life of me, I don't know why we didn't just switch places. I mean, we knew we were on the wrong side. I don't know why the preacher didn't just say, hey, you guys might want to switch places, but that didn't happen. That would have been too easy. So we go through the whole ceremony. Well, it gets interesting when we go to exchange the rings because <laughs> I turn to the best man because I'm standing with the groomsmen and he's standing with the, the, <laughs> the bridesmaids. So I turn to the best man and I get my ring. He turns to the maid of honor and gets his ring. And then because we're on the wrong side, the whole finger thing is messed up and it's just very awkward. And so that's how our marriage started out. And I have to tell you, in that moment, I was thinking, man, this is just the beginning. I mean, this is the first day of our marriage and this thing called marriage is really, really hard work. What am I getting into? So, and I'm sure you have your own stories about, you know, how your marriage started, but marriage is a lot of work. And so like Troy said, you know, we're in this series called Hope and we just want to go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, because this scripture is the foundation for marriage. You know, everywhere else in the Bible where it talks about marriage, it's all built upon this scripture. And so, um, you know, in the scripture, we see three things, three basic things. Now, this isn't things that you don't know. We all know these things, but sometimes it's just good to go back and be reminded of them. So we're going to take a look at three things that can bring hope to any relationship. The first thing we see in Genesis 2.24 is leave. The first thing is leave. Look what it says at the very, in the very first part of that verse. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother. If you would, circle that word leaves. See, leaves means to forsake dependence upon. It means to leave behind, to release, to let go. See, if your marriage is going to be what God intended it to be, there has to be a leaving. And what I mean by that is a leaving of the pre-married life, per se. You know, and, and how this can play out is, you know, if, if your dad and mom have more say in your life than your spouse... Or maybe it's not your parents, maybe it's a, it's a best friend, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a coworker. If they have more say in your life than your spouse does, then there's not been a true leaving. You know, it, it might be, uh, it could be an emotional dependence. You know, maybe it's a financial dependence where, you know, you're financially dependent upon your parents and so there's not been that leaving. It could be a psychological dependence, but whatever, there's, you've not left. Look what it says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 9. It says, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, when there's not been this true leaving, then it, brings, it tends to bring a lot of conflict, a lot of frustration, can even lead to resentment in the marriage relationship. Now, you know, when we talk about leaving, leaving doesn't mean that you withdraw, you know, that you um, withdraw from your parents or your friends or your coworkers. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you love them any less. Your love for them doesn't change, but what does change is your priority because now your first priority is your spouse. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, I'm thinking about our life um, and our marriage. You know, I think sometimes we can fail to adequately leave without even realizing it. You know, I remember when Troy and I first got married and 
I would get so frustrated because it seemed like he was never home in time for dinner. And I remember one night in particular, and uh, I had gotten home from work, worked all day, came home. I made this really nice romantic dinner, was so excited, and, um, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And about four hours later, Troy comes in. Of course, he's all chipper and happy, and, you know, and by this time, I was not happy. And so, um, you know, after, of course, after much pouting on my part, that's what I tend to do. You know, I kind of withdraw and pout and, you know, I'm going to make him pay kind of thing. So (laughs) that was a long time ago. Yeah. (laughs) So um, we sit down and we kind of begin to talk about what happens. And what we realized is that we, we both had expectations about what dinner time was or wasn't based on our parents' home, based on how we were raised. Now, that seems like such a small thing, right? Dinner, whether or not he's home for dinner. But, you know, things like that, small things, can, can, can all of a sudden grow into these, these big, gigantic things that, you know, that cause a lot of frustration and a, a lot of resentment in the marriage. And so we sat down and began to talk about it. And what we realized was, again, that because, see, Troy's, Troy's dad was very rarely home for dinner. I mean, they just kind of ate dinner on their own. Uh, He was rarely home, where it was just the opposite for me. My dad was always home for dinner. That dinner time at our house was that, like that sacred family time. You know, I mean, my parents were very strict about that. There was no phone calls during dinner, no TV during dinner. We were all home during dinner. And so, see, we were both bringing expectations. Troy expected it to be like it was in his home, and I expected it to be like it was in my home. And so, see, when you implement, you know, what what your parents' home was like, rather than working together with your spouse to, to create your own things that fit both of you, when you do that, you haven't truly left home. Now, I want to kind of give you the other side of that as well. So there has to be that leaving. But the other side is, is being willing as parents to release our children, you know, to, to not try to hang on. Um, you know, once they get older, once they start families of their own. See, if you're a dad or, and mom here today and your child has recently gotten married, I want to encourage you, let them leave. This is one of the, one of the hardest things as parents that, that we do. And, and, but you, you have to let them leave because remember, our, our main responsibility as parents is to train up our children to release them. The Bible, never, nowhere in the Bible do you see where it says you, you know, you hang on forever. We train them up and we release them. And Troy and I have recently experienced this. Um, our oldest, Tyler, um, is married now, and it was, it was a year ago this past January. And see, from the moment Tyler got married, mine and Troy's relationship with him had to change. Because now, his first priority is his spouse, Amber, his wife, as it should be. But if Troy and I would have tried to hang on and expecting things to stay like they were before he got married, you know, from how much we see him to what holidays look like now that he's married, family dinners, all of those things, see, that has to change because now he's got a different, his priorities are different. His, his wife, Amber, is his, is his first priority. And so, you know, it's, that's supposed to change. If it doesn't change, there's a problem. 
okay? Nothing should take precedence over the, your relationship with your spouse. And so, you know, when we talk about leaving, there's, we, we have to leave, you know, that pre-married life. But then also, as parents of married children, we have to release our children. We have to let them go. You know, I, I'd say you could apply that a principle in a lot of areas of our lives, if you think about it. A lot of times when people change jobs, they don't change priorities. In other words, they still try to keep the relationships where they used to work in the same priority that they were when they worked there, which causes all kinds of conflict and gossip. And all, It doesn't mean that you can't uh, any longer be friends with those you used to work with, but your priority needs to be what? Where you're working so that you can build new relationships. Even in the life of a church, sometimes God calls people to different churches and, and so they can be a part of different ministries or whatever, and that's all good and great. But again, that priority, when you enter into a new relationship, that relationship then needs to become the priority yeah. so that you can focus on those relationships because God's called you into that. You chose to get married. You chose to take that new job. You chose to move to a new community. You know, we get to talk to folks because a lot of people move into South Florida. And so we'll talk to a lot of people and say, you like South Florida? And the number one answer is it's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, second answer is no. And third is it's awesome. Okay. Um, and a lot of times it's because why? They're still, the priority relationships are still back you know, in Arkansas, or that's where we came from, okay? Or back, you know, where they used to be. And, and, and that's not gonna lead to happiness. Just like in the marriage relationship, it's in any relationship. So I just encourage you, as you go into new relationships, new jobs, you move to new places, all those kind of things, embrace those new relationships. When Steph and I moved here 16 years ago, we started a church in Arkansas. And some of those folks would call and say, hey, we're getting married. Will you come and do the wedding? Or uh, someone passed, will you come and do the funeral? And, they, and I would tell them, I love you, but you have a pastor. And I can't pastor there and here at the same time. And I want to be faithful to where God has called me to be. And I want to also not cause confusion for where God has called me away from. And I think that's the same in all of our applications. I'll also say this as well. Um, there's really no proof that I got on the wrong side because we got married. No, that's another story. How long ago? We should tell that story. 27 years? I'm sure there's some here that don't know How that. How long ago? 27 years. 27 in in years July. ago. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you still look like you're 27. Oh, you do too. <clears throat> I'm thinking about Eros a little later. Um, <laughs> because, you know, this is back in the day of VHS. So we only had one yeah. copy of our wedding, and um, I recorded the Boston Celtics and the Atlanta Hawks basketball, basketball game, game yes. over the top of that uh, one copy that we had. Oh, yeah. But I, I will say this. <laughs> it was an awesome game. Larry Bird, Dominic Wilkins, they had a lot of points in yeah. that game. Yeah, we no right? longer have that video, needless to say. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on, all right? So you got to leave, and then you have to cleave. We read it a moment ago, but it says, and you shall cleave. The word cleave there, again, this is Hebrew, right? Old Testament. And it means to super glue, uh, to weld together. What are you super gluing? You are super gluing or welding, committing to those four types of love. I'm committing agapeo. My commitment to God is going to impact my relationship with Stephanie. I really believe that the reason we've been married for 27 years, and while there are things, of course, that we have to work through, it is the best relationship I have in my life. 
It's the most life-giving relationship I have in my life. And I believe the reason is because it's not the, the, the first relationship in my life. It is with God. And the same is for her. And as long as we're committed to agapeo, then that helps us within our commitment to phileo. We're friends. i got to be committed to that. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk. We're going to do things together. And then you have to be committed to storge. We're going to protect uh, one another. And then, of course, eros, the intimate aspect of love. If you look at Malachi, it gives us a, just a different insight into this marriage relationship. He says... Now, here's another thing you do. He says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because he, he, God, no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. A lot of translations say prayers. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying you pray and you pray and you pray and you're sad and you're upset and you're crying because I'm not answering your prayers. You, you don't seem to be hearing from me. You ask why. Why don't we hear from you, God? Why don't we experience the answer of your prayers? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. In other words, remember, this is agapeo. God's, God says right here, this is not just between you and your spouse. This is between you, your spouse, and God. That's why if you're just living with somebody, it's just you and that person. You've left the agapeo part out. So you're going to have to settle for less than God intended and that Jesus died for you to have. He says, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your, there it is, marriage covenant, okay? It's not a contract, it's a covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit, agapeo. And what does the one God seek? And this is interesting here. What's the one thing God wants? Godly offspring. It, kids, I think, you know, sometimes in 2016, we forget the value of family. We get real focused on where we want to go. We get real focused on our careers. We get real focused on, and there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but we forget the value of family. We forget the importance of family in our world and in our community. In Psalm 127, I don't know if I put it in your outline, but they'll put it up on the screen. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from him. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not, put, they will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So what's he saying? He's saying that children are a reward from God. They're arrows that you shoot out into the world that you leave, right? They leave the quiver, that's where the arrows are stored, and they go out into the world and they make a difference. And he, that's the, uh, one of the values of family is that, you know, we want to reach the world, but it starts by reaching our children so that whatever God has gifted them and called them, a proverb says, train up a child in the way he should go, the way they're bent, whether they need to be architects or whether they need to be pastors or whether they need to be professional athletes or whether they need to be, you know, um, whatever it is, that, so that they can go out and they can make an impact in the world. You know, I, I was doing some research on Islam, and it's um, often considered the fastest-growing religion in the world. And um, the number one reason is because uh, of the birth rate. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, we as Christians need to try to keep up with the, uh, the Muslims <laughs> and have a bunch of babies. But what I am saying is that we don't want to lose the value of family. Yeah. 
We don't want to lose the value of your family. Now, if you're here and you're single, I don't want you walking out of here with your head down. Paul says that God gifts some folks to, to, to be single because he has something special for them to do that needs all of their priority. Because when you get married, then that, like Steph says, has to be your priority. Um, you say, well, I don't feel called to be single. I'm just waiting. Well, God says that he will provide. <laughs> That's where you want to make sure that our lives align so that we're preparing for what God has promised. Okay? So let, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to uh, Micah, see what he says. He says, what does God uh, see? Godly offspring. So be on guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, right? Which is, again, it is that storge type love. He says, so do not be unfaithful. And so there needs to be this commitment, this covenant, you know, before God, but then unto each other. And because the relationship that I have with God affects my relationship with my spouse, but my relationship with my spouse affects my relationship with God. In other words, God, he says, God's not hearing what I'm praying. Why? Because my relationship with my spouse is not uh, what it needs, what it needs to be. So if I'm going to be committed, he says, I need to be on guard because where does adultery begin? Where does drifting begin? It begins in the heart, right? It's, it's here and here before it's ever physically displayed. So I've got to be on guard. I've got to make sure that I'm very careful that nothing comes in between my agapeo love, be in between my phileo, my storge, and my our eros love. Because that's what the enemy wants to do, steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10 says. He wants to rob from us what God died so that we could have. And so think about that. What are some things that sometimes the enemy tries to bring in. We might not see him as that. I, I, let, me, let me just share a couple for you to think about, all right? Uh, I think uh, one that we need to think about if you're here and you're thinking about getting married is a prenuptial. And here's the reason why. Is a prenuptial is to continue to have something that's only yours, which is the antithesis of God's model of marriage. Because when you get married, you no longer have anything that your spouse doesn't have as well. So, so, so understand, you, you can do marriage however you want to. But if you want to have what God um, died on the cross for you to have, I, then, you, we have to do it God's way. And God says that the moment I say I do... Everything she has is mine, and everything I have is hers, and we're going to see in a moment we become one. So a prenuptial is basically what? A resistance on becoming one. You say, well, Troy, how can I know? Man, I've worked hard for this, and man, I don't know if he or she, you know, and what if they're just trying? Then don't get married. Because you're not getting married. Listen, here's what I want you to hear, and I want you to hear my heart on this. This is not a heart of judgment. This is a heart that I see so many people who have rings on that say they're married, but they don't have the joy and the peace and the love that marriage has to offer them. So then our kids grow up, and they don't desire to get married. They're fearful of the very thing that God says is a blessing. And so if you're going to get married biblically, okay, then that means we're going to become one. We're not going to have separate bank accounts because there's no such thing as that in a godly or biblical marriage. 
There's no such thing as a prenuptial in a biblical marriage. We become one. So I just encourage you, if someone's asking you to sign that, don't marry them. Because it's not a biblical marriage. And if you have signed something like that, call your attorney and destroy it. Destroy it. Because, because you're, you're, you're settling for less. Now, again, you're going to do what you want. I just, I just want you to hear my heart on this. Because I want you, because I don't, you know, like I don't get a percentage if you destroy it, all right? Want, you know, <laughs> your spouse didn't call me and say, oh, you know, if you can get this done, I'll make sure you're taken care of, all right? <laughs> I, I, I just want you to have everything. So there's got to be this commitment to agapeo, phileo, storge, and eros. And when we do that, right, when we cleave, super glue together in those four areas, um, it, it's an incredible thing. Yeah, and that leads right into the, the third thing. So we have to leave, we have to cleave. And then the last thing we see here in this scripture is weave. Weave. Look back at Genesis That's 2. That's good. That's leave, good. Leave, leave, cleave, and weave. We yes. did good on that. Three rhyming. Yes. Yeah, good job. <laughs> uh, so at the end of Genesis 2.24, it says, And they shall become one flesh. And weaving is this whole idea of weaving your lives together, you know, of becoming one with your spouse. Now, the thing about weaving is, you know, it's built on the foundation of the other two. So if there hasn't been a leaving and there hasn't been a cleaving, then weaving is not going to happen. There's that becoming one doesn't happen. And, you know, the leaving is, um, like we talked about a few minutes ago, leaving happens immediately, or it's supposed to happen immediately. Cleaving is over a short period of time, but when we talk about weaving, we talk about becoming one with our spouse. That's something that, that happens over your entire life, you know, becoming one with your spouse. And it includes a whole lot of, of different things. Yes, because if you look, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, which is exactly what I was talking about a moment ago. He says, in marriage, neither the husband nor the wife should act as if his or her body is private property. Can I get an amen? I'm, I'm trying to help you. Listen, I'm trying to help you out, all right? I'm your friend, okay? I'm your friend. He said, your bodies now belong to one another. And together, they become whole. So there is this, this coming together, this weaving together, like Steph said. Now, let me share this with you real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking about this. And he says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I in our relationship. So there's hope. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? In John 15, it says that... He is the vine and we are the branches. That uh, we are in him and that he is in us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's important. When you trust Christ, you, there's a, uh, you become one with him. Because then Paul says, shall I then take members of Christ, right? Because he's the vine, I'm the branches. I am in he and he is in I. He says, should I then take that and unite it with a prostitute? And he's not just talking about somebody who gets paid for sex. He's talking about anyone that's outside of God's plan. Anyone, you know, who is not a Christ follower. Paul says, never. He says, do you not know, referring back to Genesis 2, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her. There's more than just skin on skin in sexual intimacy. He says, um, for it is said, the two become one flesh. And then he says, we need to flee 
from sexual immorality. We need to run from it because the impact it has on our lives is different than any other, any other sin. And so this weaving together includes a lot of different things, but it is the eros or the sexual intimacy part of relationship. The physical uh, part of a relationship um, is the, um, the whole picture of this oneness, of two becoming one. Now, I want to give you some, some hope because I know that there are some of us here, right, that at this moment you're not having the kind of marriage that you desire. Or maybe there are some of us here and you, are, you have committed adultery. You know, or, or you are not living in agapeo. In other words, you haven't invited God into your relationship, and you're kind of doing it your own way. Look at what he says. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, first he's going to come on real strong. Don't you realize those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is serious. Not only do we miss out on what God wants for us in our relationship, we also are impacting uh, our eternity. God says, I take this really serious because I died for you to have this model. He says, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, the word there is the word pornonia. Okay? It's the word which we get pornography. And here, here's, here's how sec sexual sin works. Before you're caught, everybody has the same thought. It doesn't affect me. All right? Now, I could read, this is not a teaching on pornography, I, but, because I wrestled with this, because we just don't have enough time. I could read you all the statistics of damage that pornography does to the thinking of a man and a woman, to the relationship of a man and a woman, and yet, all right, what is the thought that the majority of us here have when an image comes across our computer or comes across our television screen or walks in front of us is that it doesn't affect me. That's the number one lie the enemy uses. And I, I want you to understand. You say, Troy, I don't believe that. Then do some research. Don't just ruin your relationship without ever looking into it because you feel that it doesn't affect you when there are, there are millions of relationships that have been destroyed by it. Do your own research. That's all I'm challenging. Just do your own research if you don't believe me. But that's the word here. It's the word um, that we get the word pornography. It's the word pornea, which includes all of sexual sin, or who worship idols, or who commit adultery, or who are male prostitutes, or who practice homosexuality, or who are thieves, or greedy people, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's a part of hope I want you to see. Some of you were once, that's past tense, like that. But you were cleansed and were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Here's the good news. It doesn't matter where your relationship is today. You can one day say that was once you because yeah. the same God that came out of the tomb is still on the throne and he's still reconciling relationships and he's yeah. still setting people free. Yeah, it's good news. Good news. Yeah, so, you know, um, when we talk about becoming one, of course, sexual intimacy is, is a big part of that, becoming one with your spouse. But becoming one is also about unconditional love. Look what it says in John chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. 
As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And how does God love us? He loves us unconditionally, unconditionally. And he tells us that that's how we're to love. That's how we're to love our spouse. And, you know, it's, it's that idea of I love you no matter what. You know, I love you in the good times, but I also love you in the bad times. You know, I love you when I feel it, but I also love you when I don't feel it. And if you're here and you're married, you know, there are just days, you know, there are moments when you just don't feel it. But unconditional love is I love you no matter. And um, there's a ch uh, chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I, I love this, uh, this scripture. It's, um, it just paints such a beautiful picture of what unconditional love is. And I want to read that starting in verse number 7. It says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. And, you know, we could really sum up this, uh, all of this scripture into four simple words. Love never gives up. And I want to encourage you as, as husband and wife, go back to this scripture often. It's good to just be reminded of what, what that unconditional love looks like. And so, you know, as Troy and I, as we kind of wrap up today, um, I just want to share just a, a few truths with you. When we talk about this whole idea of becoming one, first of all, you have to accept the fact that your marriage will never be perfect. See, you're two imperfect people living in an imperfect world, and there's no such thing as the perfect marriage. Now, there's such thing as good marriages, great marriages, but sometimes I think, you know, we live in this fantasy world looking for the perfect marriage, and there's no such thing. There's going to be trials. There's going to be struggles along the way, but like we just read, love never gives up. Here's another thing I jotted down. Success in marriage is not so much as finding the right mate as it is in being the right mate. See, it's way more important for you to be the right person than it is for you to find, to marry the right person. And, you know, I think sometimes we get confused on that, you know, and, and I would say if you're here and you're single, you know, you're kind of in that waiting process, I would encourage you, take advantage of this time. Make sure that you're becoming the person that you need to be so that when, when that Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright comes along, you're ready for that. And then the last thing, don't wait for your spouse to change. Take responsibility for your marriage. It's so easy for us to blame our spouse. You know, if just if he would do this or if she would do that, then we would have a great marriage. Never looking into our own life. See, here's what I would say. You need to be what you want to see. You need to be what you want to see. And be that person that you want to see in your spouse. And I can assure you, I can promise you, if you do that, you will see what you want to see. So just, you know, as Troy and I today, you know, I hope you've been encouraged. We, we just kind of wanted to go back to the very beginning, the foundation of marriage. You know, 
Troy is the best part. Outside of my relationship with, with God, Troy is the best part of my life. My marriage, is, it's not that we don't have struggles and trials and, and uh, disagreements. We do. But he is the best part of my life. See, marriage is, God designed it to be such a beautiful thing, a beautiful picture. And our desire is that you would experience in your marriage all that God has for you. And it all goes back to these, these three simple things, leaving, cleaving, and weaving. Would you bow your heads? I hope that you hear Stephanie's heart um, as you're pastors, our desire is for you to reach your potential, be everything in this area of your life that God has created you to be. We have, um, of course, just like always, after the service, some pastors here at the front that would love to pray with you or encourage you or ask any questions that you might have. Father, I thank you that you care about our relationships. You care about the things that we struggle with, the things that we don't understand things that we don't know. I pray that all of us would just commit to, to knowing you. Just starting there. Agapeo. For your glory. That the world might see our relationships and know that we couldn't do it without you. We love you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've got a hand. All right.